Hi, I'm Chris Manning, and I'm an editor at Produce Grower and Greenhouse Management Magazines. Uh, joining me today on the podcast is Dr. Kevin Fulta. He's from the University of Florida, and he's also going to be, to be giving a keynote on LED lighting and technology of LED lighting at the upcoming ICCA conference. Uh, Dr. Fulta, thank you for joining the show today. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So before we get into some of the details of your work and everything like that, um, can you just, just, just describe what your area of specialty is and what sort of work you normally do at the university? Well, I'm, a, I'm an administrator for the most part. I, I oversee a, a faculty of very diverse interests and, uh, and their major uh, managerial and financial you know, oversight to help them out. But uh, my research program is still working in areas of genomics, of flavor, and the ways that we can change flavor with specific genes and plants. We're also very interested in the way in which we can use light to dictate how a plant can grow and develop. So, and your, I think your background, too, is a bit unique to some, some of the other people that are, that are studying the lighting, correct? Yes, yeah, I think uh, my background really starts at the molecules that receive the light photons. And we studied for, um, I've studied for 30 years how a photon of red light or blue light, green light, how they interact with the plant and how they specifically cause specific downstream effects that we can then potentially use to shape the way plants grow, plants grow and develop. So what you're going to be presenting at ICCA, um, can you just give the listeners a little bit of a tease for what they might see if they are attending the show? Well, we have so much interesting new data from really out-of-the-box thinking. And what we're looking at mostly are the effects of specific uh, wave bands to drive particular processes in plants and how we can shape the way a plant grows and develops. Uh, some of the really important things are the ways that we're using far red off the end of the spectrum to shape specific traits. But we're also doing cool things with um, how we can save energy and how we can use pulses of light to change the way that, uh, that plants are growing and actually come out ahead, even though we're using less energy. And finally, we'll show some novel tricks that we're doing where we're actually writing on plants with light that are super cool. So LED lighting, I think it's something that's come up quite a bit in the last year. People have been talking about it more and more. It was certainly a topic at Cultivate last summer. Um, can you just describe to someone who is perhaps considering switching their lighting to LEDs, what, what sort of advantages LED lighting has? lighting has a lot of advantages, mostly in that you have the ability to apply light that is represented of a mixture of specific parts of the spectrum. And why this is important is because traditional greenhouse lighting, either from fluorescence or HPS or metal halide, really is a, a, a lot of energy, a lot of it going to heat, and a lot of it going to wavelengths, which are not necessarily the best for growing plants. LED light, especially in the way that we use it, allows you to provide provide specific wavelengths which give information to the plant as well as information towards photosynthesis or the energy of photosynthesis. So not only are you driving plant growth and development with photosynthetic energy, you're also providing instructions of how big to make the leaves, when to flower, maybe um, compounds that might accumulate to cause colors or flavors. I think the LED platform provides us much more agility than we're currently using. And you mentioned the the far the reds. Um, so, what is what in terms of the color spectrum of lighting? What does that specifically mean for a grower? What is that specifically? What is the goal of using that color lighting? Well, using the far red. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So far red is the uh, 
I hate to say color, but they're the wavelengths that are off the edge of human vision. So as you creep across the spectrum from blue, blue to green to yellow to red, if you could keep seeing, there would be energy that's off on that end that our eyes can't pick up, yet provide critical information to the plant, particularly about its density of neighbors, about time of day, diet, kind of season. And far red light has some very profound effects on how we can extend leaves or stems, how we can change the angles on leaves and stems, uh, the accumulation of protective pigments. There's so many things that far red does, but because we can't see it, we tend to ignore it. Yet it's an important part of plant evolution, and it's another aspect that we can actually control when we're trying to grow plants in a controlled environment. You also mentioned that the research doing, you think there could be some energy savings, and I think any grower out there would certainly want to try to, to save energy when they can because it, that likely leads to saving costs in some way. Um, how does the lighting research you're doing sort of indicate to you that there could be a way to save energy by using this this form of lighting? Well, yeah, this work is all uh, currently uh, close to being published, and what we're working on is ways to use uh, pulse treatments to almost Think of the plant as a, as a capacitor. Can you charge the system and then let it discharge in darkness? In other words, rather than providing 12 hours of solid light in a day, can we provide the same number of photons broken up into small bundles? And when we do that, we can see some good benefits to the plants, sometimes to some things that aren't beneficial. But what it allows us to do is extend the dark period between pulses that then allows us to save the energy because instead of having a light on for half the day, 12 hours on, 12 hours off, it allows us to provide energy for a few seconds and let the plant rest for a few seconds, provide energy and let it rest. And in all of our experiments, we've been able to extend that dark period significantly and still get comparable results, at least in very small format crops. It's another thing that allows us to perhaps extend energy savings to commercial operations. What, what specific uh, crops have you studied under this lighting? Well, everything we do is done in sprouts and microgreens simply because we need to move fast. Mm -hmm. And we want to try many variables. And so although it's not a, say, a fruiting crop, we're able to do quite a bit in young basils and other high-value crops, small specialty lettuces, things like this. The idea is, is to be able to provide... Um, a lot of information, generate a lot of information very quickly that then can be translated to someone's operation in the event that they wanted to adopt something, either a novel crop, a novel strategy to produce colors or flavors, or perhaps try to find some energy savings. It's going to start with the small ones, and then we'll extend this to larger crops down the road. So you men you've mentioned flavor a couple of times, and I think, of course, another thing growers are always going to be worried about when they're producing greens and producing really anything in a greenhouse is, is the flavor of what they're growing. How can the lighting you're talking about impact the flavor of the crops? Yeah, it has a, it has a huge effect because when you're talking about flavors, you're looking at a balance between sugars and acids and volatile compounds, which are secondary metabolites. So compounds the plant makes that when you chew and then warm that stuff in the mouth, volatilize up into the uh, behind the nose to provide what we think of as flavors. And uh, all of those compounds are dictated by chemistry, which is driven by enzymes, which are sometimes tied to light, either their activity or their abundance. So in other words, light can be used 
to increase or decrease the hardware that's present inside the leaf of a plant to produce flavor compounds. And we've shown that we can just drive things like basil really hard to become extremely aromatic through all of the major classes of aromatic compounds uh, just by switching them to a uh, narrow bandwidth or an LED light environment with discrete wavelengths represented. I mean, that, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have guessed, I guess, just in my own understanding of it, that uh, lighting would you know be able to impact flavor in that way. Was that, was that something that you, you found through your own research, or was this built on research that had been done by others before you? Well, others have had quite a... I have bounced around the idea for quite a bit. And going back to looking at how strawberries might be affected by flavor components uh, when grown on different colored mulches, that kind of work was done back by a number of researchers back in the early 2000s, and all done out in the field. And they could show subtle differences. And when you could demonstrate this just with reflected light from a mulch, can you imagine if you can control the incoming light from above using LED? And that's where we found that there to be um, significant um, impacts, especially in things like basil, really strong differences that we could create. And you mentioned that you're going to look at looking and trying this on larger crops in due time. Are there specific crops that you, you're you intrigued yourself personally about potentially testing some of these, the, res- the success you've had with this research on those crops? Well, I think it all translates to market need. I think you know, there's a lot of folks who are interested in things like tomatoes and strawberries, but that doesn't get me so excited. Um, I'm more excited about plants where we can consume all of the biomass above the ground or below the ground. I get excited about mostly about things like lettuces and herbs because they have a high value for the grower. And if I can help uh, a grower who's using, say, a vertical farm, indoor farming, these indoor operations, if we can give them a higher value per square meter, that's um, a great step forward. Now, do you think this lighting is better suited for something like a vertical farm or a, you know, a more traditional greenhouse, or can it be applied to either? be applied to either, but it's very different. It's um, how you would uh, how you would apply um, uh, light in a controlled environment where it's the sole source of light is very different than if you're simply supplementing the sun. And there's some very good things you can do in either context, yet you're dealing with very different uh, creatures that are under that light, under those different conditions. And we're still, you know, a few months off here from ICCA, but... Look, I mean, just can you just t- again touch a little bit on what you're, what in, maybe a little bit more detail than we did before, what you're going to be sort of showcasing from this, and what if you were gonna, if someone listening to this podcast is going to be attending, what what do you, what would you want them to pick up from from your presentation? The thing I want to do is inspire people to think outside the box and ask critical questions about what is light. And light isn't just the gas in the tank. It's not just the thing that you need to drive photosynthesis, and that's sufficient. Light is information for the plant. And when we can use light to provide different parts of the spectrum at different times of the day or during the season, it gives us a much richer ability to control the way a plant grows and develops. And this is what's really exciting. I also think you'll see some uh, ideas about how we can create new varieties that are designed specifically for controlled environment situations. That's something else we're working on, too. Now, and you, last thing is you did mention that there, the research will be published. Is that, where will people be able to find that? And do you have an idea of when it will come out? 
Well, that's always hard. It's a hard target to hit because we're still finishing up all of the work. But what we've identified were plant varieties that ex- responded extremely well to light, that it was we could get tremendous variation depending upon the light we provided. And we use these as our models to say, how far can we stretch a single set of genes to do really different things for us in terms of the final plant product? So uh, my guess is is that we'll publish this sometime in uh, early next quarter, and it's hard to say exactly where we'll send that work, but it'll be to a rather prominent scholarly journal. And I guess just so people understand how much time and effort has gone into this work, how, how long of a period was this research conducted over? Well, it's probably you're looking at the efforts of a, of a postdoctoral researcher and an undergraduate um, researcher and a visiting scientist from China. And we've got about a, a solid year into these trials. We're um, a little bit limited in the types of space we have for these, this kind of work and the light sources that we use because they're very specialized. And having, especially when we start getting into questions of timing, require us to have a high degree of computational control of light mixtures. And uh, so we, we don't have tremendous space for this. That's why we stick to the small format crops and kind of grind our way through it. Dr. Folder, thank you so much for your time, um, and, and best of luck with the research, and, and ahead of time, safe travels, and best of luck at your presentation at ICCA. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and for our listeners out there, you can find more coverage and preview coverage of ICCA at greenhousemag.com and producegrower.com.